I stood right next to the railing looking down at all the rushing water, trying to use the roar of the Niagara Falls to tune out my father's lecture. Pops was in rare form. Boy, you're hard-headed. And it's time you learn to understand obedience to the Lord. I just stared at all that water and waited. Every year we had a big church gathering. And before each and every one, I got the obedience lecture. 16 years old, I knew that if I just endured a few more moments, I was going to be free. This was the one time that we could actually hide force of numbers. There were just too many youngsters for the cultish clan of deacons and preachers and apostles and busybodies to be up in everybody's business. And my father knew this. You listen to me, boy? Yes, sir. And don't be messing with none of them girls, neither. Right. What did he think I was there for? I walked away with a quickness. I already had my target locked. She was from upstate New York. Fine. Her name was Becca, and I said, hey, Becca, let me show you around. Knowing good and well, I'd never been there before. All right. We ate some Niagara Falls fudge. We went to Ripley's Believe It or Not, then the Wax Museum. And in front of Waxy Dolly Parton, I reached out my hand for hers, and she held it. Char, I knew the good Lord loved me. We went next door to a haunted house. I hate haunted houses. I just want to go somewhere where I could hold her hand, around a dark bend, right past the Frankenstein's monster. She said she wanted to tell me a secret. I bent down, and we kissed for like 30 seconds or two hours. And when we walked out of the haunted house into the bright sunshine, her mother was there, waiting and screaming and spitting as she yanked Becca's hand hard out of mine and she said that I was a seducer, breaking God's law, one race fraternizing with another and she pushed Becca into a car and they drove off. Yeah, that separation of races thing was just another one of the rules of my church. I stood there, numb, invisible no more, church brethren staring, pointing, whispering to each other, You should have seen what happened. The next thing I remember is getting into my parents' station wagon, heading back to Michigan, when a girl who wasn't Becca pressed a note into my hand, and she whispered in my ear, you know who this is from, and she walked away. I breathed it in, and it smelled like Becca did. I couldn't open it, I couldn't open it. I had to open it. And when I opened it, in flowing cursive script, she'd written everything I wanted to hear, everything I needed to know, that we would write to each other, that nothing could ever keep us apart, that her mother was caught up in this craziness and she was so sorry, but that that was not how it had to be. We were almost old enough to do whatever we wanted and we would be together forever soon. And she told me not to write to her house, but to write to her friend who had passed the letters on. And I did. For a while, I wrote every day. Then being 16, I wrote every week, then every month. But then, one night, I got a phone call. It was Becca. She sounded tiny and squeezed and scared. And she said, I 
just can't stay here anymore. I can't. It's too much. Will you help me? Can I come stay with you? Can she come stay with me? Of course, I'd do anything, but the idea of this white girl coming to stay with my black family was beyond the imagining of our community. There was just no way that was going to happen. But I had to help her. I had to. I put the phone down on my dresser and started the long march upstairs. Every step I took toward my parents' room, I knew with ever greater certainty that the volcano was about to blow. I knocked on their bedroom door. My father sat at his desk reading his Bible. He looked at me. I took a deep breath. Then I just said it. Pops, I need some help. I've got a girlfriend that lives on the other side of the country and she's got to get away from where she is right now. She's in the church. She might be white. Can she come here? I braced myself for the explosion. Where is she? She's at a bus station in Buffalo. He reached over to his dresser and handed me his wallet. My credit card is in there. Get her a ticket to come here. And I, I just stood there wondering who was this person. Anything else? No, sir. Close the door on your way out. Thank you. A day later, I waited in our just-washed station wagon for Becca to arrive at the Grand Rapids, Michigan Greyhound Terminal. I saw her through the bus window, looking tired, until she looked out and we locked eyes and she became beautiful again. It had been almost a year, and we'd only really spent one day together then. She jumped off the bus and hugged me. I knew it. She said, I knew we were going to be together. I grabbed her backpack and she was like, I'm real sorry. You might be in a bit of trouble. What's up? My mom's went through my stuff and found some of our letters. She's telling the police I'm kidnapped by Negroes. <laughs> we laughed, even though it wasn't funny. And I drove her to my place where she met my mother and my father and my brothers and my sister for the first time. You're so pretty, my sister said. And Becca smiled and relaxed. And you could tell she hadn't relaxed for a long, long time. And I felt like I just wanted to keep her safe. We were sitting eating dinner when there was a knock on the door. My father went to open it and it was our pastor. He was knotting his tie as the door opened. Blonde gray hair, kind of askew, and he started in on my father. Well, Bill, I heard what's going on. It's a real situation, Bill. It's a situation we're going to have to work on together. I just want to know you're going to be in church tomorrow. And my father said it nice and slow so everybody could hear. We're all going to be in the church tomorrow. The next day, my family sat right in the center of service with Becca in the middle next to me. Pastor strode to the podium and started in on a sermon about the sin of mating with the wrong kind of person. I had never hated this pastor before, but I started to hate him then. And after services, my father told me the pastor and some of the deacons wanted to meet with us. Of course they did. I followed him to the little room in the back of the church. 
pastor sat there with two of his minions and he didn't waste any time. Until you are instructed otherwise, this girl will be staying at the home of a white family. Deacon Vanderjack will make the arrangements. I started to say something, but my father put his hand on my shoulder. Understand this here. As my son asked me to open our home, it will remain open to this girl for as long as she wishes to stay there. The pastor looked shocked. Are you disrespecting my authority in the Lord Jesus Christ? If the shoe fits, pastor, wear it. We're leaving now. Walking away from the little office, I was like, Pops, you know you're kicked out of the church, right? You know, you know that church that our family has dedicated our lives to? Boy, what did I always tell you to do what the pastor said do? No, 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 no. To do what Jesus said do. And you know who Jesus listened to, right? His father. So you listen to your father. And he stopped walking. And remember this, son. Never, ever. Make a young girl believe you are going to do something that you are not going to do. I couldn't look back at him when he said it. I could barely breathe. The next day, when Becca asked me if I loved her, I didn't lie. I don't know. We both cried after I said it. When she said she wanted to leave right now to go stay with her sister, I couldn't believe it wasn't the church, her parents, my parents, that was keeping us apart. It was me. I stood watching her not look back at me as the Greyhound bus pulled away, wishing I still believed in something, anything, enough to make the pain somebody else's fault. What's a king to a guy? What's a guy to a Hey, Snappers, it's your boy, Glenn. I'm going to ask you to do something we've never asked before. Support the artists that make this show happen. And we've made it easy. Easy to give us 10 bucks. Just text 20222 on your cell phone. Text them the word SNAP. You'll get a message back from our partner, PRX, asking if everything is cool. Text back yes, and that's it. You've just supported Snap Storytelling with a $10 donation. That number, 20222. Just text in the word SNAP. It can't happen without you, and we appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. Thank you.